Hey there, it's Jason Cunningham and welcome back to Save My Business, the podcast dedicated to helping small and medium-sized business owners navigate through the proverbial shitstorm. And today's podcast is a must-listen for all business owners because we are fortunate enough to have the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce, as my mum would refer to it as, or also known as Becky, in our company. Now, this guy is a bit of a rock star. He's been around the traps. He's an Essendon supporter, which I like him just that little bit more. Uh, Father of three, married, and doing some great things at the Chamber of Commerce. And you wouldn't believe it, but got his appointment 12 months ago and thought, oh, what a job I'm going to walk into as uh, COVID went rampant throughout Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, and the rest of the world. His name's Paul Guerra, and we are fortunate to have him on. G'day, Paul. How are G'day, you? G'day, Jase. I'm really well. How are you? Going great. What do you mean you just like me as an Essendon supporter? You've got to love me. Us Essendon supporters have got to stay together. We, we do, and we had a bit of a discussion off air before. And We're uh, troubled, aren't we? We're, we're troubled about the club. We've got, a, we've got a fair way to go. Now, Paul, what goes through your mind's eye when you accept a position uh, – <laughs> At the start of COVID. <laughs> well, I didn't know it was at the start of COVID when I accepted the role. It's kind of uh, crept up on us. But it was an opportunity to put back into Victorian businesses. Mm. As you said, father of three, I travelled the world with my career and I was lucky to do it. Mm. Um, but at one point in my career, I said, I don't want my kids to have to do the same thing. I want to do what I can to help Victorian businesses be the best they can be and hopefully attract multinationals and therefore give my kids a career path in Victoria without having to leave Australia. Yeah. So that was the driver in accepting the role. I tell you, Paul, one of the reasons why I've been really passionate to get you on the show, and that is because ever since I can remember, my mum would always refer to the Chamber of Commerce. But when mum and dad went into business probably, I don't know, 35 years ago, and, yeah, mum's first foray into business and her experience with dealing with employees and clients and contracts and all that, she'd always go to the Chamber of Commerce. And um, yeah, when I told dad that I was getting you on, dad was pretty pumped because he's, I reckon they've been members for 35 years. But for our listeners, and I think there's a lot of new businesses and younger businesses that don't know about Becky, can you share with us in 30 words or less, what is your role? What does Becky do? And you know, being a member of the Chamber of Commerce, what does that entitle people to? Yeah, it's a great question. It's morphed over time. I love the story about your mum and your dad. Yeah. Um, and, and if we take that a step further, um, I hope your mum and dad got the experience that they should have and it's something we can learn from because back then people were prepared to ask for help, yeah. particularly in business. And I think that's something that we've forgotten a little bit about. So the last 12 months, we've seen a lot of that where mm. businesses are saying, hey, how do we navigate this? Mm. Uh, in your words, a shitstorm that it was last year. It'll be a bit better this year, still be up and down, but businesses are going to need help um, to get through. And that's why the chamber mm. is where it is. We, we sit between government and business. Yeah. And through the last 12 months, we've been able to work effectively with government at, at both the state and the federal levels and also at the local government level um, to help them understand what business needs. So just before I, you go further, Paul, sorry to interject, but so for clarity reasons, you said we sit between government and business. So you're not, you're not the government? Definitely not. We're a member organisation. So it's the members that have helped us get to where we are today. Yeah. It's the members that pay the fees that enable us to do what we do. So we're not a government entity. We don't report um, to government. Yeah. Uh, we sit as a completely separate, independent organisation as any other company would be in Melbourne or Victoria today. Okay, so your stakeholders are your members. They are, yeah. yeah. And so all the money from the membership go back into 
the membership group. Spot on. Yeah. And that's, that's the beauty about what we do. It's, it's the, the more revenue we, revenue we earn, the more we're able to put back into supporting mm. businesses and then the more influential we are back in with government as well. So how many members do you have? About 50,000 members across the state. Right, and I assume there's a Chamber of Commerce in each state? Yeah, there is. And, and actually, there's a lot of Chamber of Commerce even around uh, Victoria. And that's the one thing I'd say to people listening is is find your local chamber of commerce and support them. Yeah. Uh, because if you're doing that, you're not only getting value back from what they do, mm. but you're helping them be relevant in their community and then tying back into us and then state and federal governments as well. I know because uh, I know there's one in Ballarat and I've done a lot of work with those yeah. guys who are pretty proactive in that chamber of commerce. Yeah. So you've got 50,000 members. You've been around for 150 years. You've got the word chamber in your name, which I reckon is pretty cool. And I love that whole, you know, I love the history of, of the organisation. Mate, you would have seen some pretty damning statistics over the last 12 months. Can you share with us what you've seen? Uh, it was a tough year for some, not for all. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's good and bad in last year, right? So the, the good part was watching businesses, and I hate this word, but it's used a lot, pivot yeah. into new areas. The innovation that came out of business last year was just extraordinary. Mm. Right. The ability to move to digital um, in you know, really overnight was extraordinary. The, the, the ability to adapt to new business models uh, was extraordinary. Yeah. And there's a lot of businesses that have gone really well um, last year. Mm. I don't want to talk about it for yeah. fear of yeah. standing out for the rest of it. So there's a bit of survivor guilt um, yeah, in there. Yeah, isn't there? There is. More businesses went well um, than businesses that didn't go bad. But, of course, on the other extreme, there were businesses that, that really struggled and yeah, they're largely in the hospitality sector, which was closed down for so long. Mm. You know, the retails that couldn't move to online yeah. um, really struggled. The the event sector, oh, God, yeah. it's been killed. It's just been killed. We've got a number of clients that got reception centres and yeah, run all, events and just become. And now, now that we're open, to some extent, even still people are frightened to book weddings or book 21st or book functions in fear of it's going to get locked down again. Yeah, it's the confidence. So you know, even the tourism sector got hit pretty badly last year, but it's the confidence. And, and to get, we need confidence back in this state. Um, if we can get confidence, we will move ahead. We're starting to get there. The, the last five-day lockdown, I'll tell you, locked, knocked the shit out of everybody. Yeah, oh, It was tough. We were starting to fly. Mm. Yeah, you've got to remember 12 months ago, Victoria was the engine room of the national economy. Yeah. Right? So as a state, we were flying. Yeah. Where we are now is not that. And we've got to get that back. And you think about it, if I just run some dates past you because we forget this, on the 10th of March last year, so that's in less than a week's time, mm. 12 months ago, um, the state government issued the first media release talking about the pandemic. The next day, the control centre was activated. 13th of March last year, Grand Prix Friday. Yeah. Right? Grand Prix was cancelled and we all started paying attention at that point that this thing called COVID. 16th of March, state of emergency was declared. 22nd of March, stage two restrictions um, commenced. And you remember the line, hope we never hear this again. If you can stay at home, you must stay at home. 26th of March, we recorded the first um, COVID deaths, three in 24 hours. Then we hit our peak of the first wave on the 28th of March at 111 cases. We got through that, late May came out of it. Things were looking good. 30th of June, virus got out from hotel quarantine. 7th of July, we went to the toughest of restrictions, stage three stay-at-home orders, meant to be for three weeks, went for 112 days. We didn't come out of it till the 26th of October last year. Yeah, wow. 
right? And they're pretty, we forget it all because we got through it and we're yes. resilient, but that's what's knocked us um, as a state. Mm. And then, of course, the, the previous five-day lockdown, it just as the momentum was starting to build, it, it, it knocked us again. So that certainty that you talk about is imperative mm. for us to build our confidence back. You know what, Paul, can I just say this? Um, despite the fact that I got somewhat depressed during your monologue of the history, which I think is really important, right? What you've also done is you've enabled uh, us and the listener to understand that term consumer confidence and business confidence and why that's important because we'll often hear it or see it on the news and uh, financial commentators will talk about the importance of confidence and often we don't relate what that means. But hearing what you've just said then really puts an underline about the importance of confidence. And can I share with you some real stories? And, and the other beauty in having you as a guest is you're not the government. You hear real stories. Your members are talking to you. Um, and you are a representative of 50,000 members lobbying towards government and all the things that you guys are doing. But I'll tell you a, a, a two quick stories. The first is we have a client um, who sells coffee in the city. And I went and saw him a couple of Mondays ago. And um, I went in there and I said, oh, let's say his name's Joe Blow for the sake of this argument, but he listens to this and he knows exactly what I'm talking about. I go, so, hey, Joe Blow, how's business? And he goes, Jace, today's been our best day in almost 12 months. And I said, oh, yeah. He's got a couple of little coffee shops, very small little um, coffee sh uh, shops in the city. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, he goes, let me tell you that before the pandemic, we do about three and a half grand a day. Yep. Coffees, uh, danishes, toasties, and all that sort of shit. And he goes, and today's been our best day in almost 12 months. We did 600 bucks. Yeah. He goes, mate, I'm depressed. I, I can't do with it anymore. And see, you know, the various different commentators get on there and say, oh, we have got to pivot your business. It's very hard to sell a latte online. Yeah. Right? And, and, and they're all about the experience. Now, sure. You know, they're wholesaling coffee and selling roasted coffee and all that sort of stuff. But, mate, standing behind the jump when you're used to doing three and a half grand of takings a day down to 600, and that is a good day, is pretty depressing. But on the flip side, I was talking to a client only yesterday who uh, was doing her very best to set up an online subscription model business. And it was in the um, in women's health space. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And she could not get any traction. And in actual fact, yeah, it's got to do with breastfeeding and how to breastfeed a child correctly and all that sort of stuff. And this woman is a, a perennial serial entrepreneur and she set up a few businesses and done it really successfully. And then along came the pandemic and her subscription went up to $2.5 million in the first 12 months. So there are some good stories out there. And I, I do like the phrase that you coined around... Um, what did you call it? Successful guilt. What, what did you call it? Feeling guilty by being successful. Yeah, survivor guilt. Survivor guilt. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, so I do enjoy that uh, phrase because it actually, I think it describes a lot of people. So the, the stories you described then, yeah. um, particularly the first one, they were probably the toughest phone calls that I had to deal with yeah. um, through the course of last year. I've got, and we all have friends that have been impacted badly. Mm. I've got a, a particular mate of mine that runs a really good hospitality venue and when you've got your friends in tears on the phone at wit's end around yeah. what it is that they have to do and that hits you three or four times a day yeah um it it, it drove me to do whatever i could do and still drives me today to do mm. whatever i can do I, i've got to say there's you know there's a few um ministers that deserve a particular call out for the way that they responded last year you know, minister pakula was 
just outstanding. Yep. In, in the opportunity he gave me, any time, day or night, didn't matter to take a phone call. The treasurer, Tim Pallas, was brilliant. Yep. Not only in the way um, he listened but responded, there, there's a mentoring program that's now in operation, funded by the state government, that came off the back of a very short conversation between he and I mm. around my experience was you know, about August last year, business owners were at that their wits end, stressed. He said, do they need mental health support? I said, they don't need mental health support. What they need is a business guider that can actually sit with them and help them make sense of the predicament that they're in through no fault of their own and be that light to say, hey, if you follow these steps. Um, oh, how was, do we get access to that grant? Uh, go to business.vic.gov.au yeah. or come through to the victorianchamber.com.au. It's free. Four two-hour sessions for free. You'll get to choose the mentor, right? And then you get four sessions with them. You get to choose what sort of mentor you want. Do you want marketing? Do you want finance? Do you want business plan? Do you want something else? We'll match you, right? Then you pick. And the state government are paying for it. That's the power that the state government can do when they know what's there. Minister Pulford was extraordinary through this. And I've got to say, uh, Treasurer Frydenberg, um, he was brilliant. So JobKeeper you know, came off the back of some work that we did with him. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to see and no one wanted to see those unemployment queues yeah. at Centrelink. And he acted pretty quickly. Uh, the lost carryback provisions that are there now yeah. came off the back of that conversation with a few business people around town. And we we, we, we were pretty, you know, we were in conversation heavily with um, Treasurer Frydenberg. Those four people, uh, if you see them, pat them on the back or give them a cuddle. Because yeah. they were just brilliant in terms of, the access, their willingness to hear about what was happening with business and respond as good as they could. Can I, can I tell you, so thanks for sharing that. Uh, and can I tell you that if there's one thing about last year that I am very comfort, uh, comfortable knowing is that it did not discriminate. And despite the fact that some businesses were successful, they had other impacts. Yeah. Um, I mean, with respect, you kept your job, you got paid. I kept my job, I got paid. In our business, we fielded, just as many phone calls as you, um, and we we found ourselves working twice as hard for half the money. Yeah. But mate, I still got paid. Yeah. Right? I still had a job, I had a business, and my business was not going to fall over during it. I remember talking to a mate of mine I played footy with, owns three pubs yeah. um, in the north in the north suburbs. Three pubs, sixty odd, seventy odd employees. Income went from one hundred percent to zero. And he had his employees go, oh, it's okay. You can just pay us out our annual leave. Yep. Now, as you and I both know, it's not always that a business is banking their annual leave and sitting it on their balance sheet in a separate uh, cash account. He just didn't have it. And then along came JobKeeper and all that sort of stuff and helped him out. But it, yeah, just having those conversations with people in tears at 10 o'clock at night. But I think what's encouraging for me to hear is that you had access to senior ministers at both state and federal le- level that would take your phone call and also, what's important is listen to your feedback because with respect to them, you're on the ground, you're talking to business owners. And that's what I've tried to bring to this role, Jason, yeah. is you know, I've been in business my whole career yeah. um, and I've been lucky. I've worked with some of the you know, the world's greatest companies along, along the way and I've worked with some of the smallest companies. So I understand it you know, inside out. Mm. But your story is only as good as the people that you represent. Um, so I was very active with our members last year because yeah. real-life examples made it easier for people to understand. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, the state and federal government needs businesses to survive mm. because they're the major employer. 
Yeah. And if business owners start falling over, it's not only them that are out of a job, it's not only the debts that are left, yeah. it's the unemployment levels that are left as a result of yeah. that. And that's where I've started going as we come out of COVID is starting to talk more about the need to support business owners. Because if the business owner can survive with their business, then jobs will survive yeah. as well. And the yeah. economy can then uh, rebound in a way that we want it to rebound. Paul, I, I've heard a stat and I and I, I don't mind sharing stats, not necessarily checking whether they're accurate or not. <laughs> uh, but you might be able to help me out. I heard that at one stage, small to medium-sized businesses account for 50% of the employment in the country. Is that about right? Yeah, so that's about right. If you add all business, it's about 90% of um, employees are through business. Yeah. So that's that's you know, large, medium, and small. And that's you know, we're a country that survives off the entrepreneurial spirit. Mm. My grandparents, you know, they migrated you know, from Italy, no language, no money, right? yeah. four of them. Um, I look, as we overlook um, Princess Park here, Mm. Uh, Melbourne General Cemetery. All four grandparents are buried uh, in that yeah, um, yeah. cemetery there. You know, I'm here because of their willingness to leave their homeland. Mm. Right? Um, they both were farmers. One started and he's credited with starting roadside selling in Victoria. Oh, awesome. uh, out of Sylvan. So, you know, Leo Nardella was his name. What was he selling? Selling strawberries. Uh, see, yeah. I love that. That's brilliant. And that's my mum's memories on yeah. a Sunday. You know, he'd take, pack the truck go down to the Princess Highway and sell off the truck, come back home. He ended up uh, putting, excavating a driveway in so people doing day trips down to Sylvan. And, of course, he made his really wholesaling at Queen Vic Market. Yeah. My other grandfather yeah. on the Guerra side, Francesco, um, started a farm in Shepparton East. Yeah, um, fruit picker. Fruit, fruit, fruit picker, fruit grower. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Sold into the Queen Victoria Market. Um, they, they worked day and night. Yeah. Except my grandfather in uh, Shepparton worked six days a week. Sunday was pub day. Yeah. Um, in at opening time, out at closing time. Yeah. Well, out. Yeah. Um, helped out at closing time. Yeah. Um, didn't miss a beat come Monday morning. And that's the hard work that's been instilled in us. And that's the, the business owner that I see out there today with that entrepreneurial flair. Yeah. They're having a go, which is at the DNA of our country's you know, makeup. Having a go, supporting your mate. And that supporting your mate part. I saw it a bit last year. I want to see it a lot more this yeah. year. Yeah, I, I think. Um, firstly, thanks for sharing those stories. I, I think the epitome of small business is, you know, hitching a, a you know, a, a, a van to the back of your car, pulling up on the side of the highway, saying, "These are my, this is my wares. Do you want to buy some?" I reckon, like, I, that's why I love going to local uh, farmers markets. It's pretty cool stuff. You get to, you know, you see the farmers come down and bring their stuff, and people are selling coffees and hot dogs and brassworts and donuts and. Just people having a real crack at it, yeah. I just, I just love it, um, and and that's what business is all about. It's the same as at the big market and all the markets you can go to. Um, I, 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 I am also inspired by the DNA of our country, and with respect to the Indigenous Australians, uh, the the white man's only been here for two hundred and fifty years or whatever, and every one of us has a heritage. Uh, from a country other than Australia, uh, uh, unless you're an Indigenous Australian. Yep. Right? Uh, and I, I love the story about, you know, husband and wife leaving Italy, speak Italian, come to a country where we speak English, going to Shepparton. I don't even know how they picked Shepparton. It's not as if they fucking Googled it because it didn't exist. You know, Google wasn't around in those days. You know, it landed on a boat. Would they come on a boat or a plane? And it got even better because yeah. my grandfather left without my grandmother. Yeah. So he didn't, his 
it, my grandmother was pregnant. Yeah. Right? He left before their first child was born. Yeah, wow. He met his son um, uh, when his son was 11. You imagine that today. He didn't see his wife for a decade. The marriage yeah. stayed intact. Yeah. They then had dad. He was born here. And my auntie Angie, yeah. who's a mad cult supporter, so she'll be proud of me walking over <laughs> yeah. to Princess Park. Um, they then had them. But it's, it's just, it, it is incredible. Mm. And there's no phone. There's no internet. Nah. You know, to, so to do that, you're relying on letters. And that's, that's the resilience that, that they made a decision. They made a decision knowing they're probably never going to see their grandparents yeah. or parents or brothers and sisters again. Yeah. But they're doing it because they thought Australia would give a better life. Yeah. And they're right. Mm. We're lucky. We're, we are l- the luckiest country in the world. And COVID reinforced that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my business partner, Rob, had it. His parents are from Syria. And uh, when his father was alive, he used to tell a story as to why Syria is not an ideal sort of country to be walking around in. You know, people drop bombs and fight and shoot each other. It's a disaster. And his father used to tell a story about uh, why he came to Australia because when the Australian soldiers went through Damascus, you know, the capital of Syria, the way they treated our kids and gave them lollies and was quite respectful. So his father, it's a very similar story, came to Australia on his own, uh, got himself a uh, cab licence and drove cabs pretty much 18 hours a day, six and a half days a week. And one of the days he spent in the pub uh, up in Esketval. And that's how he got to know and live and breathe the Australian culture. Uh, which is a bit sad that we're all just pissheads in a pub, but but you know, but really stimulated into the Australian culture. So when you were telling that story about your grandfather um, at the early openers up at the Chef Hotel or whatever, it reminded me about Robbie's Robbie's dad. So we we come through, and as you said, you were fielding many phone calls. Um, some businesses were actually quite success, successful. A lot got belted. We're coming up to a period now where everyone's starting to get a little bit nervous at the end of March when JobKeeper ends. What are your thoughts, feelings um, about consumer conference and business conference and, and, you know, where do you see it going from there? So the Treasurer yesterday had some really positive announcements about where the economy is at. We're we're basically back as a country at pre-COVID levels. Yeah, right. uh, Which is just brilliant. Yeah. Victoria's lagging a bit and that's the to-do. The next... Probably four months um, as JobKeeper comes off. Um, you know, some businesses will make it through, um, some won't, and we'll know that through. Some will lose their jobs, but we're pretty confident that with the the other businesses that are going in in most of the other sectors going okay, yeah, right, there's an opportunity to reskill or be reemployed in those other sectors. But Jason, my, and I've been strong about this the whole way through. Um, business comes back to basics. Yep. Get the basics right. Start rethinking what your business plan is. Uh, and if you don't have one, get one prepared. Come and talk to people like yourselves and, and others that are expert in it. Get your business plan done. Get your strategy done. Yeah. Because you need to understand where you're going. And okay, we probably can't look out three or four years now, but mm. we can look out 12 months. Mm. So if you understand your strategy, put the business plan in place. Then the next most important thing you can do is your cash flow so that you understand where your business is going to be. You can then start working back on things like your people and your values, get everyone to buy in. And I've got to say, if you do that, your business is probably going to be okay. Yeah. It comes back to basics and we forget it. Why do we forget it? We've Before COVID, we've had 28 years of growth in this country, yeah. which is phenomenal. So, things, so- things happened, yeah. right? We, we probably forgot about the basics. Did we get a bit lazy, you reckon, Paul? I'm not sure lazy. I think we just got a bit complacent in yeah. terms of 
one foot in front of another, seemed to be happening easily. We yeah. didn't think about what yeah. made us successful in the first mm. place. Now's the time to check back in with that. I'm really encouraged to hear someone of your ilk talk about the importance of having a plan, a business plan and a strategic plan. And to be honest with you, I'm surprised as to how many business owners I meet that don't have one. Yeah. Right. And that's one of the things that Robbie and I, Robbie and I, 23 years ago when we started business, we would go away on a business planning retreat. Our mates would laugh at us. Our wives would go, you two are just on a junket. And to be honest with you, in the first 12 months, we were on a junket. Well, not according to the tax office. We had a travel diary. Nah. You were hardworking. <laughs> yeah. But um, we do that every year. Sometimes we do it twice a year, and which is why we're so passionate. When we communicate to our clients with conviction, it's because, man, this is what we do in our business. And we would argue that we've got a relatively successful business. But I can't believe how many people aren't doing it. And it's actually music to my ears to hear someone like you tell and share the importance. So of you've just said something then that can actually not only help your business, but help others, right? Mm. The sectors that have been hit, if I look at the accommodation sector, if I look at the hospitality sector, if I look at the event sector. Yeah. Now, you went away to do your business planning. Yeah. Think about that for a minute. If every business decided to go away and do their business planning, go and make a place in regional Victoria That's for right. a day or two days, you're helping that regional centre, yeah. you're helping the hospitality, you're helping the accommodation sector, but you're helping yourself because you're taking yourself out of the day-to-day the, the -day and actually putting yourself in an environment where you have to think about where you're going and then come back in and insert yourself back into the business again. Mm. Well, I think we've just solved the problems of, uh, you know, we're boosting the economy, you and I. Now, uh, tongue-in-cheek there. Tell me, let me jump around a bit, Paul. Um, I've, in my experience, for the most part, we are a creation of our family of origin. Can you share with us, uh, I mean, I've just heard stories about your grandparents, which is really cool. Tell me about what was life growing up in the Guerra household and, and what sort of gave you the impetus to sort of take a position or, or morph into the position that you're in now and the impact of your parents and the, what happened growing up. Yeah, so I'm one of five kids. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I'm the middle of five, so two elder sisters and two younger brothers. Catholic family? Catholic family, yeah. Catholic Italian family. So um, mum and dad spoke Italian. Um, dad, you know, phenomenal. Um, not only worked uh, full-time at the SEC, very loyal, was there for the better part of 40 years. Mm. Studied part-time to get an engineer, electronic engineering degree, electrical oh. engineering degree. So he's raising five kids, working full-time, studying at night school oh, wow. to get that engineering degree. Mum gave up her career, um, hairdresser, um, to look after the kids and raise us. Um, instilled the value of hard work. Mum would hairdress at home. So we'd come home from school and there'd be someone that we didn't know yeah. sitting in the, the bathroom as it was back then. Remember, yeah. 12, uh, 12 square house, five kids. So I shared a bedroom with two brothers. Yeah. The sisters had a room to themselves and mum and dad had a room. So none of the luxuries that we have today. Yeah. Um, we so were it like fighting for the bathroom in the morning, getting oh, ready to school? Bloody horrible, Jase. <laughs> it was worse on a Saturday night, let me tell you. And worse, worse when we finally discovered these things called girls because yeah. there was no... Mobile phones in that day. It was no. sort of line up and try and hurry your sisters off the phone. But no, that's one of the things that shits me about kids today. I want to share this with you. Remember the trepidation you'd have when you yep. pick up the phone and you dial your girlfriend's number, yep. hoping to cross that her father would not. That's exactly phone. right. Oh, now these kids are Snapchatting <laughs> shit all over the joint. They just never experienced that. I'm so cut. Kind of anyway, sorry, getting back on. Nor should they have to. <laughs> let, let me be honest. So, 
Look, I had, I had a really good um, upbringing. It was all around um, school and sport for me. Mm-hmm. Um, lucky, good group of mates. Went to you know, local Catholic primary school, mm-hmm. went to the local Catholic regional college. Yeah. Um, brilliant, loved sports. So that was good for me. You know, met some really good people that are still in touch with um, today. Uh-huh. Um, went to university, um, Swinburne, did a Electronic engineering degree. Oh, got, funny that. Got no idea why. Anyway, <laughs> I, I did that. I, I've but, got an idea why. But I met my wife there, uh, which was just fabulous. So we've been um, married for you know, 26 years and Congratulations. going strong. So and so from there, I was I was lucky because I, I came through an area at, an era at Swinburne and I was deliberate about it. They had this course that you were two years at school, six months out at work experience, paid 12 months back at school or uni six months back out at work experience and then paid and then six months um, back at um, uni. I had a number of jobs. I worked at VFL Park, parking cars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as well. So I was a supervisor out there, locked up a local hall, worked in a bottle shop. Yeah. But that, that's all the, the upbringing that the mm. family, you know, even school holidays going through school. I had two uncles that were carpenters and I looked up to them. I wanted to be a carpenter in my, yeah. my time. So I'd work as a brickie or as a, a yeah. framer or as a uh, finisher inside. So that was good fun. Um, graduated, was lucky enough to you know, join Motorola, uh, which back then no one knew what it was. Yeah. It became a, a you know, global relevant company, mm. worked up up through from, I wasn't much good as an engineer to be honest, Yeah, but I did roll out some pretty large projects yeah. um, of significance across the country and, and in this state as well, and then moved into sales. Yeah, um, Loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, the reason Motorola's in this country today is off the back of a deal that that I constructed and eventually closed with the state government, which was a build and operate of the police fire and emergency emergency radio network, which became also the data network as well. Oh, cool. Imagine a you know, a kid, as it was back then, from Melbourne, mm. telling the powers that be in Chicago of this juggernaut mm. that actually the business model can be improved if we move to a build and operate yeah. model. Fortunately, they agreed and... and there we were. I spent 17 years with them. Ended up running Asia Pacific for yeah. Motorola, um, running the channels division, and that's where mm-hmm. I found really my love of small to medium business because I was working with them across Asia Pacific. Mm-hmm. Came home, I decided Australia is the best place in the world, and that's where I was going to be. Yep. Ran uh, the Victorian division and channel partners for Vodafone. Then stepped out after 20 years and had a break. I just consulted for a bit. Yeah. Just, oh, what What am I good at? What What do I enjoy doing? Uh huh. That was good fun. Yeah. Um, helped a mate um, sell it, jumped into, restructured his business and helped him uh, sell it. So I was mm. at the pointy end of small business. Then I really lucked in because I I was employed as the managing director of Asia Pacific of the largest healthcare company in the world, which no one's heard of. It is today the seventh largest company in the world. It's a company called United Health Group. Mm-hmm. Trades at about 330 US uh, on the stock market, it turns over about two hundred and fifty US billion dollars annually. So they're just going okay, <laughs> just going okay, and it was great for me because yeah. I got an insight into health, but importantly, where health meets tech. Yeah, well, and also it's an enormous business turning Off. over two hundred and fifty billion dollars. You're in a juggernaut. Yeah, uh, and I had the, the privilege of running Asia Pacific, got to understand mental health uh, firsthand through that because that yep. was the first business, and then yeah, we're looking at all sorts of expansion if. Put it in perspective, if Medibank had trade sailed instead of listing, we would have bought it. And we're in conversation with the federal government about that at oh, the time. Wow. So that's wow. the size of the pockets that yeah. <laughs> I had. Uh, the role was great, but I was on the plane every other day. Yeah. So, and my daughter but what was going we wouldn't through. give to get on a plane right now. Oh, exactly. So yeah. I finished there and 
Um, ended up, well, chaired the board of the Queen Victoria Market for seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up running the Royal Agricultural Society of Victoria in the showgrounds, which was just uh, brilliant. Yeah. Um, and then here I am running the Victorian Chamber of Commerce, which is, I, I tell you, it's a privilege. There's not many organisations that are 150 plus years old, not many organisations that have such an impact on where Victorians yeah. is going to go. Mm. Um, and not many organisations that have the privilege to deal with business on a day-to-day mm. basis. Mm. It's, it, it's fabulous. It's very um, heartwarming to hear you speak the way you do with so much passion about business. I want to take you to uh, the businesses in the quadrant that is the CBD. And we have a few of those clients. What does the forecast, like the, the city, oh, I was there two weeks ago and you and I can look out my window, what are we, a, a K and a half as the crow flies from the centre of the city. What, what do you see the forecast in the future like for these guys? There's an old saying, adapt or perish. Yeah. Uh, and there's nothing truer than what I see in the CBD now. Um, there's no point um, hoping that the CBD is going to come back to what it was. Mm. It's not. Mm. It's going to be different. And it's yeah. going to be different because um, businesses have worked out that they don't need their employees, particularly in the CBD businesses, back in every day. Mm. Yeah, we learned a bit last year, and one of those was that you actually can work at home yeah. effectively. Now, I don't think any business wants to flip to full-time employees at home, mm. but I think we'll settle, and we're starting to see this around different parts of Australia and the world, probably three days a week in the office. That's what I was thinking, 60-40. That's, yeah. so, and that 60-40 might be three solid days or might be 10 till two, mm. five days. I mm. think we'll experiment with that a yeah. bit. Now, if that's the case... It means the footfall in the city through the day is going to change. Yeah. Right. So business needs to, businesses that rely on the footfall need to think about what that means for them. Go back to the business plan. What does that mean for you? Yeah. The night economy, I think, will stay strong. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. yeah and it has been strong. Yeah. I yeah. think, and those iconic restaurants, yeah. they will help pull people in. The city of Melbourne is starting to move um, towards, well, okay, the, the office space will be what the office space is. Mm. What else can we do to attract people back in um, mm. to the city? And that will be important. Once the events start to roll again, mm. that will help. And I think it's time to rethink our tourism um, strategy. Tourism in this state's relied on events. Yeah. If I compare it to Sydney, Sydney's tourism has actually relied on the Harbour Bridge and the That's Opera right. House and the beaches. Yeah. Well, in COVID, they didn't change. They're still there. Yeah. In COVID, our events didn't occur. That's right. Uh, if I look at South Australia, their tourism strategy... Is actually very good. Tassie is very good mm. um, as well. We need to redefine that. We do battle, don't we, Melbourne, for tourism? We, well, uh, uh, we, we, we shouldn't yeah. because we have great events, but I think we need to adapt now to have an events strategy. That's mm. kept us strong. Mm. But then also a tourism strategy, it's probably going to follow where I think where Tassie is at with that nature base and the food and wine because we've yeah. got some fabulous food and wine. Yeah. But let's start thinking about how we do that. It comes back down to as we do that, the city can then recreate itself. Yeah. And look, it's morphed over yeah. 200 years. Yeah. It'll continue to morph again. So I'll come back down to adapt or perish. It's, Hoping for yesterday isn't going to work. No. Okay. That's brilliant advice. I, I, I'm sitting across the table from a bloke who oh, there's no doubt in my mind you're a planner. You love a plan. I reckon you plan for the plan. Um, tell me with your team and what, what sort of planning you guys did about where, how to help your members and what's your role because you well I was going to say your role changed well it, it sort of did because you started day one and then a week and a half later in the world uh, went crazy 
tell me what happens in your business and how you guys plan. And I'm also keen to hear, Paul, what your what you think are important leadership traits for you as a CEO. Yeah, so um, on the planning one, I started in February um, last year and really didn't understand en- enough about the Victorian Chamber of Commerce mm-hmm. um, and probably don't have a good, a, as good an understanding as what you would expect the CEO yep. would have 12 months in, but that was the circumstance. We jumped into what we thought our members needed. We were highly planned last year, 7 o'clock um, every day from the time the COVID crisis hit. Um, I had a planning call with my um, head of policy and advocacy mm-hmm. um, and my media manager. And we would work out if we were going to play that day, where we were going to play, what we were going to say, what we needed to say on behalf of uh, members. They were pretty robust um, phone calls. Often they weren't the first phone call of the day, though. I'd, oh, wow. I'd have calls um, either from members that I knew, from people that were looking to provide advice or ministers or in some cases, the federal treasurer as well. But we know, we knew we needed to be that guiding voice. Mm. Um, and we still have those calls today. So there was a call every day. There was a call once a week in terms of um, business doesn't look backwards. Business looks forwards. And yep. we needed to do the same thing. So we needed to say, okay, where are we shifting to over the next week? Mm-hmm. And start that narrative around, mm. okay, where are we going? Because we needed to provide hope. Businesses needed hope um, through that period as well. And I, I think in hindsight, we were pretty good at, at what we did, trying to walk that balance around you know, state and federal government and the issues of business at the day, as well as engaging media to tell that story. You know, uh, Paul, uh, it's interesting. We did a lot of short-term planning, didn't we, over the last 12 months? You know, often you'd plan and you'd think uh, 12 months, 24, 36 months in advance and then put the, together an implementation strategy to implement the plan. But, you know, when, when you were talking like that and, you know, on your 7 a.m. phone calls and what do we need to, are we going to play today? Are we going to play this week? And what does the week look like? It took me back to the Zoom calls that my partners and I would have. We would have one every uh, Tuesday at 10 a.m. and every Thursday at 10 a.m. And, you know, in our world, and I mean, everyone's world was impacted. There's no doubt about that. But one of the things that we had to do was we had to learn all what these government initiatives were, you know, because, you know, JobKeeper was announced. Our clients are ringing us going, what's JobKeeper? We're going, can we get back to you in 24 hours, you know, because we had to learn it ourselves. Um, and so, you know, that was forever changing. And, yeah, the planning was so, you know, the next five days or the next uh, two days. And, and then how do we uh, disseminate the communication out to our customer base? How do we communicate with them? And, yeah, and I'm glad we started this conversation off when you reminded us the timeline of events because, shit, we forget. We did some good work on the run last year. And you talk about responding to your members' needs. We are trying to get ahead of that yeah. to help the government plan and then announce. So, yeah, JobKeeper, I've talked about the business grants that the state government announced at different times. Mm. There was literally five people on the Zoom call uh, that was working those through. There was Patty O'Sullivan, who was the CEO of the AHA. Yeah. Brilliant guy. Yeah. Uh, there was myself. And there was Minister Pakula. There was Treasurer Tim Pallas. And there was the Department Secretary. Yeah, right. Wow. Uh, and we're working through what should the you know, what should the the carve up of the funds be? What did we need? Yeah. Um, and what else could be done uh, for business? So mm. we're influencing on behalf of business. So mm. I come back to I couldn't do my job unless I knew what business uh, needed. So the importance of that communication was there. Paul, I, I, I'm sorry to do this because we don't have a heap of time. I just want to. You've touched on something that I, I think is really. It's been remiss of me to gloss over it, right? You spoke about 
the tourism in Melbourne being very heavily influenced by events. And I've had this conversation with a couple of business leaders. I want to ask you, do you think the culture of Melbourne was damaged last year? And let me preface this by saying, we love to eat. You know, you compare Melbourne to Sydney, you can go to a restaurant in Melbourne at 11 o'clock at night and get a meal. I, you know, that might be a bit late, but 10 o'clock, you can definitely sit down and have a meal at 10 o'clock at night. We were a big um, wine, beer, alcohol, food, events, theatre, footy, Grand Prix, cricket, um, basketball. You look at that precinct over there where the G is and all that sort of stuff. That was all taken away from us. And I, I have this opinion. I feel that our culture as people was uh, impacted. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, so I reckon our confidence uh, was impacted. Mm. You, you, you pick on a couple of really good points. <clears throat> We're globally famous for a couple of things. Yeah. One of those is events. Yeah. The other is our hospitality offer, particularly in, in you know, the CBD. Yeah. Right? Our confidence was dented. And that's why it was so important to get the Boxing Day test underway. Mm. It was so important to get the Australian Open uh, underway to give everybody hope that we can do this. Mm. Right? I'm hopeful the Grand Prix goes ahead. I bloody hope it does. Yeah. It's a great event. It, is. it puts it puts Melbourne on the map. Mm. Internationally, right? it does. It's Internationally, yeah. well, even here, it, yeah. it, that's that's the rallying cry. We missed footy last year, yeah. and we didn't see one game in in Melbourne. Mm. Yet it managed to continue. We didn't have crowds at races last year. Yeah. Yet it managed to continue. Mm. We want to go back uh, to that. That is our DNA. Yeah. So our confidence has been dinted um, through it, largely because there's still a lack of information around. Yeah, the, the true COVID and what yeah. it actually is and where it sits in the community today. Because uh, I'm now reminiscing of what life was like 24 months ago. You come out of the Boxing Day test into the Australian Open, into the Grand Prix, into footy, and we love footy. Out of footy, we go into we have finals, we have Spring Carnival. Um, and yeah, along the journey, there's basketball being played. It's actually the lifeblood of, you know, if you don't like sport, it's, you, you might be a bit challenged. You know? Well, this, our art sector is yeah. just is yeah. brilliant. If yeah. you look at the National Gallery that we've got here, the Mime Music Ball and what they're um, doing, you know, Melbourne Park, that precinct, That's Melbourne Olympic Park, it is, it is probably the best precinct in the world. And if you look at our university sector, as a sector, I challenge anyone in the world to come up with a better sector mm. of universities than what we've got here. And then that spills to the Parkville Precinct, not far from here, yeah. with the, the Meditech area as well. Yeah. There's a lot to love about yeah. our state. And then you start going into regional Victoria yeah. and the food bowl and you know, the livability out, you know, water skiing as they do up on the, the Murray yeah. snow skiing not too far away at yeah. Mansfield or on the Highlands. We've got it. Yeah, there's a reason we were the engine room of the Australian economy 12 mm. months ago. Mm. And there's a reason the people haven't changed um, here. Yeah, we're a bit bruised. We're probably a lot bruised in some areas. Yeah. But we can get back if we do the planning. Yeah, that's right. And we are a resilient bunch, Paul. I, I've got two things to ask you. Um, I want to touch on the important traits that you think leaders, uh, successful uh, leaders uh, carry with them in their kit bag. Can you share with me some insight there? Yeah, be yourself. Uh, that's my first one is, is don't try and pretend that you know everything. You don't need to. Yeah. Um, it's that humility to say, I don't have the answer. To it. So that relies on um, a leader being prepared to employ people that are smarter than them, mm -hmm. that are experts in their field, and then take their advice. I've seen too many leaders along the way that, that 
are too arrogant to actually take that advice. They go and pay all this money for good people and then don't let the people uh, yeah. perform. So that's the first thing I'd say. You've got to be planned, mm. uh, but you've also got to be prepared to adapt as the circumstances mm. um, change as well. And I'm big on values. Yeah. You, know, you, you can't have culture unless you have values. People talk about culture. They probably don't understand it. Culture is an outcome of living your values or not. Because mm. you'll get a culture in an organisation whether you like it or not. You can be deliberate about it and set the values and make sure everybody lives to that and call them out when they do, call them out when they don't. You'll get a culture based on the values that you're prepared to live. Yeah. Right? And that's that's got to be an important trait um, of the leader. The other one which I think is underdone in Australia, and you, know, you, you do it a lot, we've tried to do it and I've tried to do it in my career, is look ahead, what's coming, what are the trends. You know, last year I, I would have spoken to people across the world. I'm lucky I've got that network. Yeah. But I would have spoken to them on, in different continents from Singapore um, to London to the US mm. um, at least twice a week. So I was updated with what was happening there. So yeah. if we position ourselves here, look out. The last one is it, it's a lonely existence as a leader. Mm. Right? Use the people around you. What I know about Melbourne Victorian people is we want to see everyone succeed. Right? So call for help and yeah. the help will come running. For, for whatever reason, we start our lives um, getting taught by great teachers, playing sport and as a coach, and we come into business and we forget about that. Right? We don't use a coach anywhere near enough yeah. that we should because they're a gentle reminder of, hey, you might need to focus a little bit over there or yeah. just trim up there a bit or I can see something going mm. wrong. There, it's that willingness to ask for help will make you successful. It, it's really important because, as you said, in our formative years, whether it's at school or playing sport, we've had somebody to guide us and shape us, and not forgetting our parents, right? And then we put our big boy pants on or our big girl pants on, and we run a business and we think that we know it all. And that's yeah, that's actually quite enlightening to hear and enriching to hear that that we've got to remind ourselves that we don't. Now. Before we finish up, Paul, it would be remiss of me not to talk about the Chamber of Commerce. Tell me uh, the benefits of being a member. And this podcast is not about advertising the Chamber of Commerce at all. But what it is about is it's, it's an organisation that means something to me because of the influence it had on mum and dad's business. Uh, and now, yeah, I know that we can become a member and tap into the HR resources and all that sort of stuff. But can you share... With people listening that aren't a member of Vicky, you know, what are the benefits? Yeah, look, there's many. For starters, you join a business cohort. Mm. Second thing is you can tap into IR, industrial relations and HR advice. We can represent you at Fair Work, for example, um, if you have some issues with staff. Um, we're a registered training organisation, probably especially at the moment, off the back of the Royal Commission announcement on Tuesdays in mental health and mental health awareness happy to provide that training amongst other leadership-based training as well. Mm. And then we, we haven't advertised this enough, but we're the largest provider of apprentice and trainees uh, in the state. So if, if you're uh, someone looking to put on apprentices or trainees, come and talk to us. We'll help you do it, but we'll also help you access um, the government grants that sit around that um, as well. So we're, we're a really interesting organisation. The last part is if you need to engage with government, and this is probably more the, the medium to large businesses on distinct areas. Yep. We have the ability to do that because we've got a team of really smart people that understand how government think yeah. and then can put that back 
in a way that government can understand. And I would have thought that you've got a reasonable relationship with the government, considering that you're having 7 a.m. phone calls to talk about the grants that could have help for retail and, um, and uh, hospital businesses in town. Hey, Paul Guerra, uh, we've gone for about 45, 50 minutes, mate. This has been outstanding, and I know how busy you are, um, and I really do appreciate uh, your willingness to share uh, everything that you've shared today. Um, and so on behalf of myself and my partners at the practice and, and all our listeners, thanks very much, mate, because that was an outstanding podcast. That's a pleasure. It was great to be here and, and good luck with what you're doing. You, you're inspiring people not only across Victoria but across Australia with the stories that you're telling. And that's one of the other DNAs of Australia is our ability to tell a story. And, mate, you do it really well. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. You too, mate. Thanks, buddy. See ya.